invite you at this time to turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. As you know, we, we have been going through the book of Luke, and we will continue to go through the book of Luke uh, in the weeks to come. But as we begin a new year, uh, as we celebrated the new year this last Friday, I thought Psalm 1 would be a good and fitting text to uh, begin this new year with, as it uh, instructs us on where we find the blessed life. So Psalm chapter 1, please turn your attention now to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, and are sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, each New Year's brings about the, the same question and, and topic in our mind, which are New Year's resolutions. This question is a question that consumes uh, the American mindset. Uh, not only are not only is it, what are our resolutions, but how can we have a better life? How can we have a better year than the year before? Or to put it another way, how can we find the blessed life? Coming off an especially difficult year for, for all of us in our own way, uh, 2020 ha has indeed been difficult. And I think this question, how can we find the blessed life, is especially true for all of us. And therefore, it's tempting for us to think that the blessed life is going to be found when our favored political ideology wins the day, or when we are all healthy, or when our society and lives go back to a semblance of normalcy, or even when our country, communities, and churches aren't divided as they were this past year. And no doubt these all are important things, but even if we did attain to all of these things, is that where true blessedness lies? I mentioned, I think Psalm 1 is a very fitting and appropriate text to consider as we begin this new year because it answers this very question. How can we find the blessed life? How we can find true blessedness? And that's a question I want us to consider this evening. How can we find this blessed life? In order to answer this question, I want us to consider two main, question, or two main points. Uh, the first of which is that we are to trust in the blessed man. And second, we are to live like the blessed man. So we are to trust in the blessed man and we are to live like the blessed man. So first, we are to trust in the blessed man. You'll notice the first three words of the Psalter, indeed the first three words of this psalm, begin with, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. It's important that we don't 
translate this differently. I think there's a temptation uh, for some translations to go in a more generic or egalitarian way to say, blessed is the one. But the Hebrew word that's being used here is referring to a singular male. Blessed is the man. And it's very important that we keep that translation. Blessed is the man. This, the psalmist is referring first and foremost to a singular male who is a representative figure. That's how the original audience would have heard this psalm. This brings to mind important representative figures of the Old Testament. For example, Adam, our first father, the father of all mankind, or the kings of Israel. These are individuals whose whose decisions had, had consequences for many. Adam's decisions had, had bore consequences for the whole human race. The kings of Israel, the thing that you see throughout the Old Testament, as, as the kings go, so goes the people. The kings represented the people. In fact, uh, if you're reading out of the ESV Bible, there should be a footnote that says something uh, very similar to what I just stated. But as we consider these individuals, these individuals of the Old Testament, these these males, these representative figures, we see that they all fail to live according to the prescription of this psalm. Uh, specifically verses 1 and 2. You know, blessed is the man who, who does not look to the, the way of the wicked, the actions, the advice, the attitude of the wicked, of the, uh, of, of the devil, but rather who, who looks to the word of God, who finds their delight in the word of God. That's what's required of the blessed man in this passage. And we see all the way back with the first Adam, he failed to do this, verses 1 and 2. He looked to the advice, the attitude, the actions of of the devil. The serpent comes in, tempts him, and rather than looking to God's word for advice, he, he followed the advice of the serpent. He failed to live up to what's required of the blessed man. We look to the kings of Israel. In fact, in Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 19, we see the prescription, the guidelines that the kings of Israel are called to live according to, which is very similar to what we see in verses 1 and 2. Uh, Deuteronomy 17 says, And when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law, these statutes, by doing them. The kings of Israel were called to look to the word of God, to base their lives, their decisions according to the word of God, not according to the practices of the nations. What do these kings do? They don't look to the word of God. They forget the word of God and they look to the practices of the nations. They worship Yahweh the way the nations worship Yahweh. They live like the nations. They failed. They failed to do this psalm, to live like the blessed man supposed to live. Therefore, who, who actually was able to do this? Who actually is the blessed man? Well, according to all of Scripture, this is Jesus Christ. Christ is 
the ultimate reference of the blessed man. In the New Testament, it speaks of Christ as being the second Adam, as being the true king of God's people. He did what those other representative figures were supposed to do but failed to do. And Psalm 1, in a lot of ways, sets the, uh, the agenda for the rest of the Psalter. It's the introduction to the rest of, of the Psalms. And what we learn then is when we read the Psalms, the Psalms are first and foremost Christ's songbook. And secondarily, they're our songbook. And we see this in Luke 24. Luke 24, Jesus is resurrected and speaks and talks to his disciples on the Maus Road, and he opens up all of the scriptures to them, telling them the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms are all fulfilled in him. Right? He is the ultimate reference, the fulfillment of the Psalter and the whole Old Testament scriptures. And so, boys and girls, this, this psalm is first and foremost about Jesus. Jesus is the blessed man. So let's consider for a few moments how Jesus himself did this psalm. Let's consider how Jesus did not take the advice, the attitude, the actions of, of the world or the wicked. We see this in verse 1. Right? The blessed man is not to do uh, these things. And it goes on to list these three phrases. Walk in the council. Stand in the way, sit in the assembly. This is referring to to looking to the the world for for advice, for actions, for one's actions, for one's attitude. Christ didn't do this. Rather, he he did verse 2. He delighted in God's word. He looked to God's word to direct his actions and attitude and and, 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 and for advice. For example, consider John 4.34. Jesus himself says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Right? That's, that was Jesus' mission. His mission was to do the will of his Father. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus led out into the wilderness, into the desert. In a situation that very much echoes Adam's situation in the garden. Just as the serpent comes and tempts Adam and Adam succumbs, the devil comes to, to Jesus in a moment of temptation. He's fasting. And Jesus, instead of giving in the devil's advice, he stands on the word of God. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see that Jesus did what Adam failed to do. So what is the blessing then of of perfectly fulfilling verse 1? Not looking to the way of the wicked or the world of perfectly obeying verse 2 by delighting in God's word and looking to God's word for direction. Well, the blessing of this is found in verse 3. Verse 3 says that when the blessed man obeys, verses 1 and 2, they will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its life does not wither, its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. You know, boys and girls, in this area, there Lots of big trees, right? Big trees that are very tall, that are green. This is the imagery that that the psalmist is using to describe the blessed man. 
It's like that tall tree that has roots that go deep, deep under, under, under the, the ground, who has green leaves, is full of life and vitality. We see that Jesus became this tree by perfectly doing verses 1 and 2. Jesus became this tree by his obedience. Jesus was the only one to earn this everlasting, these everlasting blessings, everlasting prosperity by his obedience. Jesus was resurrected. He was given a glorified human nature. He ascended to God's right hand. And he earned all these blessings by being faithful, by being the faithful, blessed man. You know, these blessings that Jesus earned of, of being resurrected, of ascending to God's right hand could be described by analogy as, as this tree, which we see in verse 3. It's what we read in, in Philippians chapter 2, which we considered a few months ago, that Christ him, where Jesus was the one who came to this earth in the form of a servant, died the lowly death on a cross, right? He did the will of his Father, and therefore, because he was faithful, God exalted him. Bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's another way to say he is that tree planted by streams of water. He is fruitful and blessed. The psalm is describing those blessings of God's exaltation, the resurrection, by the imagery of a tree. So that's one of the blessings. So you are faithful to verses 1 and 2. Blessing is verse 3. You're that tree planted by streams of water. But we also see verse 6 is another blessing. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. That is, a, that is to say, the Lord knows the way of, of the blessed man. And this word know is it's not just a generic knowledge. This is a, a deep and intimate knowledge. This word is the word that was used as Adam knew Eve, which resulted in an offspring. So how can we be known by God? Known by God in, a, in a, a deeply personal way. There's really only one blessed man who earned God's favor in such a way, and that's Jesus Christ. If we think of ourselves, if we want to first read this psalm with us as the reference, we identify more with the way of the wicked than the way of the righteous. We are by, all by nature sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We are indeed cast out of God's presence because of our sin. We constantly look to the advice and attitude and actions of this world rather than God's word. So notice the problem? In order to achieve those blessings of verse 3, of being that tree planted by streams of water, of being known by God, as verse 6 tells us. We need to perfectly obey verses 1 and 2. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is we need to find ourselves in the blessed man, the ultimate reference of the psalm, which is Jesus Christ. We need to trust in him. And when we trust in him, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. When we trust in him, God views us as if we perfectly obeyed verses 1 and 2 as Christ has obeyed it for us. 
And when we trust in him, we then inherit inherit these blessings of verse 3. We then become like a branch and grafted into this, this, this life-giving tree of Jesus Christ. When we trust in him, we, we become known by God. We are adopted into his family. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. We are righteous in Christ. We are blessed as we find ourselves in the blessed man. Listen to how Paul speaks of a very similar idea in in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made Christ to be our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness is ultimately found in Christ's righteousness. Or 2 Corinthians 8.9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might might become rich. Our true and ultimate blessedness lies in the riches, the blessedness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, the most important step to finding the blessed life is trusting in the blessed man. That's the most important thing. No matter how this year ends up going, no matter what happens, Uh, to us in the future. This is good news, isn't it? The Lord knows us. We are engrafted into that that tree of Jesus Christ, a tree that will lead to fruit in this life, but ultimately fruit in the life to come as we are resurrected, glorified, as we inherit the new creation. This is all found as we trust in the blessed man. Well, as I mentioned, we don't ultimately trust in our ability to do verses 1 and 2 you know, for our salvation, to earn, earn these blessings that this psalm is speaking of. Rather, we trust in the blessed man. We trust in Jesus Christ, who did obey this psalm perfectly in our stead. However, once we, once we are trusting in the blessed man, we begin, and we are called, to obey this psalm out of gratitude. That is, we seek to live like the blessed man. Once we trust in the blessed man, we seek to live like the blessed man. We see this paradigm in the New Testament as well. Christ, first and foremost, is our redeemer. He's our savior, the one who has done something only he could accomplish, that is, save sinners. But once we trust in him, Christ is indeed given to us as an example, an example of humility, an example of self-sacrifice and love. And therefore, we see the same paradigm here. We are to live like the blessed man. I'd like us to briefly consider verses 1 and 2 then in, in a bit more detail. Uh, verse 1 states that the blessed li- where the blessed life is not found. Right? It's not found by looking to the advice, the actions, the attitude of the world. I, I mentioned this already. And you'll notice that this psalm is primarily speaking of the wicked. The wicked. So when I use the word world, I'm referring to those members of society whose actions and advice and attitude directly oppose God and his law. Verse 1 says we are not to look. We are not to look to them. So first, we don't look to the world's advice. If you look with me at the first phrase of verse 1, the psalm says, 
who walks not in the counsel, and you could render that, well, that word counsel as advice, who do not walk in the advice of the wicked, the advice of the wicked. You know, our world tells us that a truly blessed life is found in, in having stuff, material possessions. I think our minds work this way too. If only we had X, then we would be happy, whether it be a possession, whether it be a circumstance. What we soon find out is once we have X, that becomes a new normal, and our discontentment follows us along with that new possession or circumstance, and we now need something else to be happy. Our world also tells us that the truly blessed life is found when we prioritize ourselves above everything else. You know, the sentiment of, you know, you've been thinking too much of others. Just put yourself first for once. And that's something that characterizes our society. Our world tells us that a truly blessed life is found in living according to one's feelings. Right? One's feelings is what defines who we really are. We just need to live according to those feelings. You know, there's a desire to be one's most authentic self, which is found in, in who we feel we are. And, and every external authority needs to conform to our feelings, even if it opposes nature and God's law. We see this with much of the, the sexual ethics of our day. So, so we don't look to the world's advice. We don't look to the world's advice. Well, the last phrase of verse 1 says that the blessed man uh, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. And this teaches us that we are not to look to the world's attitude. The world's attitude. The attitude of self-indulgence, sexual ubiquity, earthly success as being ultimate. As being those places where true blessedness is found. We're not, we're not to look to the world's attitude. And then the middle phrase of verse 1 says that the blessed man doesn't stand in the way of sinners. This word way in the Hebrew, original Hebrew, refers to the way of life, one's general conduct. So this is indicating that we aren't to look to the world's actions, the world's actions. As we consider the distinction or the difference between the actions of the world and the church, the ethics of the world and the church, there are many things that set the church or should set the church apart from the world. I think one thing in particular that, that we could focus on is the Lord's Day. I think that's one chief difference between the ethic of the church and the ethic of, of the world. You know, is the Lord's Day just another day of commerce, another day of recreation, another Saturday, and a day for the NFL? Or is it actually the Lord's Day? A day set aside for rest, for worship, for gathering with God's people to hear the word of God, to partake of the sacraments, to pray, to fellowship. So we're called not to look to the world's actions. I'd like you to notice the progression here. Notice the progression in verse 1. Right? We aren't, the more we listen to the world's advice, the more we imbibe the world's attitude, which results in living according to the world's actions. Right? There's a natural progression. You start 
giving the world an ear, you will start imbibing the attitude, and then that results in living like the world. Remember reading one time that you know when when those situations and and uh, times come up when someone falls into gross, gross sin or immorality and they, so as if they just dropped off the, the deep end into um, neck deep of sin. And when this is someone who, who, who seemed to be living a moral life and all of a sudden things are manifested, it seems as if they just dropped off a cliff. But if you were to go back and study right, their life, you would see that they didn't just drop off a cliff. There would be a trail a trail of compromises that led to that state in which they currently are in. I think according to this psalm, you could say they were listening to the advice, imbibing the attitude, and then ultimately living like the world. You know, we see in the New Testament, John tells us that you know, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Or as Paul says, we are to be engaged in this, this culture, this society, this passing evil age, but we are to have a holy detachment from it. I think that's what this psalm is telling us. Uh, we are to have that, that level of detachment. Well, then verse 2 tells us what we are positively to focus on as we seek to obey this, this psalm out of gratitude. If we don't look to the world, what are we to look to? Well, we are to look to the word of God. We don't look to the world, we look to the word of God. Verse 2 says that our delight is to be in the law of the Lord, and on his law we are to meditate day and night. The path of blessing is found by being connected to the word. Now oftentimes when the Old Testament speaks of the law of the Lord, it can refer more generally to instruction, which would lead us to, um, to see this as all of God's word. Not just necessarily the Torah, but all of God's word. We are to be connected to the word of God. As I mentioned before, we are not to look to the advice of the world because the advice of the world leads to and shapes our action and our attitude. But rather, we are to get our advice from the word of God and let that advice shape our attitude and our, our actions. So first and foremost, this shows us that we need to have a steady diet of the Word of God. We have a steady diet of the Word of God, and this begins on the Lord's Day. In, the mo- a mom- in moments such as this, the, the corporate gathering of God's people. You know, in, the, in the original context, as Israelites would have heard this psalm, that's where their mind would have went. And the Israelites didn't have personal copies of the, of the Torah, of the Law of God, or of the Old Testament Scriptures. Rather, they, on the Sabbath, they heard the corporate and communal reading and instruction from God's word, and that was to fuel their meditation day and night throughout the week. Similarly, in the, in the New Testament, first century Christians didn't have personal copies of, of God's word. They gathered each Lord's Day to hear the word of God read publicly, preached to them, and it was that word in which they heard that they were called to let dwell in their hearts richly, as Paul says in Colossians 3. You know, the, the biblical authors would have had no category for 
what we refer to in the, in the 21st century as personal uh, devotions. And this is not to say that personal or familial Bible reading or devotions is bad. Far from it. I mean, we live, we should be very thankful that we live in the day and age in which we live, where we have literacy rates that are, that are um, sky high, comparatively speaking, to past ages of the church, in which every family has the means to have personal copies of the Word of God. This is a great blessing. But I think we have to recognize levels of importance. I think the New Testament tells us that the most important intake of God's Word happens on the Lord's day, happens in the corporate gathering of God's people. And this is where Scripture binds our conscience when it comes to our intake of the Scripture. And then all other intake of God's Word flows from the Lord's day, whether it be personal or familial Bible reading and devotions. And when we're connected to God's Word, when we are intaking God's Word, we will grow. That's uh, that's the great promise. You know, verse 3, as I already mentioned, speaks of this fruitful tree. I said it's as if we, when we trust in Christ, are like that branch that's, that's implanted into the, the, the tree of Jesus Christ. As Jesus himself says, we are the branches, he is the vine. In a lot of ways, this refers to our union with Christ. We are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit, and the way in which this union is, is strengthened is through the means of grace, the word, the Lord's Supper, the sacraments, which we will partake later on this evening. This is, this is how we strengthen this union with Christ. This is how the Spirit strengthens our union with Christ. This imagery of, of a tree is helpful. Think about how slow a tree grows. You know, boys and girls, have you ever seen a tree grow with your eyes? No. You look at a tree... Uh, over day to day or even week to week. You can't see a tree grow. You can only see a tree grow after years and decades. You know, this last week I was back, um, Mackenzie and I were back visiting family, and I grew up on a farm, and in my my parents' yard there was a a big evergreen that was starting to grow uh, crooked, and I was talking to my dad about it, and he was telling me how he remembered Right, this is a huge, huge tree. He, was, he remembered when it was planted as a kid. Right? He could see, testify, the decades of growth. But you can't see it grow on a day-to-day basis. And this is much like the Christian life. Right? Much like faithful attendance to Lord's Day worship, being uh, members of the local church. Oftentimes it's hard to see growth, day-to-day, week-to-week, even year-to-year basis. But over the decades, right, we can see God's work through the Spirit, in our hearts and lives. So we're not only to be connected to the Word of God, but we also are called to find our delight in the Word of God. Our delight is in the law of the Lord. And this makes sense, doesn't it? If, if the Word of God is where we find our greatest blessings, they're ours. And these blessings are irrevocable. We're united to Christ. We are forgiven. We have been given an everlasting inheritance. This tells us that no matter what we're going through in our life, no matter what, how dire our circumstances are, there's always something to rejoice in. There's always something to rejoice in. As we begin to wrap things up uh, this evening, the blessed life, right? The blessed life, that blessed life which 
everyone is seeking after this time of year. The blessed life is found as we trust in the blessed man. And afterwards, as we seek to live like the blessed man, which looks like connecting ourselves to the word of God in the local church. And brothers and sisters, exactly why we are doing what we're doing here. We are seeking to see a, a church planted in Gig Harbor. Uh, the Bible has no concept for a Lone Ranger Christian. A Christian is one who's a member of Christ's church. God's people need the public reading and preaching of God's word. Therefore, whatever our circumstances are this day, whatever this year brings, let us remember that this is where our true blessedness is found. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the blessed man, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he indeed came into this world, that he did your will, that he perfectly accomplished salvation on our behalf, and that he has earned everlasting blessings. We thank you that when we trust in him, those blessings are our blessings. We pray that you, through your spirit, would continue this work of sanctification in our life, that we would begin to live more and more like this blessed man. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.